0: Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Today we're here talking about the new book, The Prize, Who's in Charge of America's Schools? We're here with the author, Dale Russikoff. Welcome to the EdCast. Thank you for having me. So Dale, give us a little bit of insight into where this fascination, where this interest in writing about Newark stem from from your own personal background and, and why this is such an important story to tell about what's happening in the sort of education world and field right now.
1: Well, for me personally, I guess it goes all the way back to my growing up years because I was born and raised in Birmingham, Alabama, and I was in the last generation of kids who grew up in segregation. Um, and was just from an early age um, really kind of aware of the separateness and difference and inequity. Um, And um, I think that it just became, because my parents encouraged me to, you know, ask them questions about it, um, I think it became kind of the way I got engaged with the world, was just asking a lot of questions. Um, But also, just throughout my life, and even my studies in college and everything, I've just been very interested in the issues of race and inequality that run all through American history. So, fast forward, skipping a lot of things, um, I was a, a reporter for 28 years for the Washington Post, and I spent almost half of that time in the New York Bureau, and that um, included covering Newark, which is really, you know, 25 minutes from New York City, and I just, from the first time I was there, I just was drawn to it. It's um, a city with a tremendous amount of troubles and struggles. Um, but it's such a metaphor for what's happened to urban America and why. And um, the, the role of race and the role of economic disinvestment and white flight. Um, and the, the sort of where do you go from here questions are everywhere in Newark. So when this happened... Um, you know, I, I have become. I'd never been a beat reporter in education, but I've become very interested in education over the years, having raised two of my own kids with my husband, and you know, take just basically been involved as a tutor and observer of education through them. And I also had tutored for a couple of years in the Newark schools just as a volunteer because I really got interested in tutoring um, generally. So um, all of those things make me, made me very interested in what was the education reform movement about. What did it offer that the status quo didn't offer? Um, I mean, obviously, there's a big difference between the status quo and the reformers. Um, but, you know, what What exactly um, was was the potential of this movement to change education? And when this announcement was made, I was... Pretty electrified. I just thought, my God, you know, here's, you know, this extremely young billionaire giving what sounded to me like all the money in the world to a project led by this Democratic mayor who was a rising star nationally and this Republican governor who was a rising star nationally. I just assumed something really fascinating would come of it and whatever came of it it would be an important story to learn from
0: and that's the thrust of the book all these heavy hitters all these sort of Shakespearean characters all assembled in one place to do ultimately something what they had all hoped was really good for children in Newark you've got Cory Booker, Chris Christie, Mark Zuckerberg you've got announcements on Oprah and then kind of set the stage for our, our listeners who may not know exactly what happened what what makes this book worthy?
1: Well, what seemed bookworthy about it at the outset was just that it was about education reform in kind of an iconic um, city that was struggling with all the issues of poverty and violence and child welfare, and um, that it also had these larger-than-life characters in it. Um, And the... The district, the Newark School District, had a story that you hear in almost every distressed city. Um, The the specific numbers in Newark were that only 40% of children were reading and doing math at grade level in kindergarten through eighth, well, in third through eighth grade, which are the grades that were tested by the state. Um, and at the time, 54% of kids were graduating from high school. And of those who graduated, 90% of them who went to the local community college had to take remedial courses just to qualify to take college-level work. So you had just had a system that was failing in every measurement. Um, and the idea that, you know, that... I mean, the, uh, the other piece of it is that Newark was a district that had been controlled by the state for 15 years, and now it's been 20 years. It was taken over by the state because of just rampant corruption, neglect of children, failure, um, and the state was supposed to turn it around, and it didn't, and it hadn't. And um, when Christie became governor, uh, he was elected in 2009, he and Booker decided that, well, we're going to get together, we're going to fix this district, and we're going to get a philanthropist to help us, and it turned out to be Zuckerberg. So that was that was the um, that that was the c- the catalyst for all of this.
0: And tell us a little bit about the the flow of this book, uh, and how you approached it as an author, as a as a journalist, but also as an author of looking to tell a story, but also hoping that the people learning. I mean, w- things happened, good and bad, in Newark. What do you hope that the the reader of the book learns from this, aside from just getting a really great story about uh, the the ups and downs of this sort of drama?
1: Well, I think that for one thing, the education reform movement is in you know its early stages, even though it's been around for 20 years. And I think that you know things were evolving even as all of this was happening, and things will continue to evolve. And so, um, hopefully, you know what what setbacks and mistakes were made in Newark will become lessons for the future but um what happened was that they came in really with just an excess of moral outrage and actually hubris thinking we know what works that was their that was their mantra they said it all the time we know what works and the corollary was you don't and the community was never involved in any discussions about what was going to be done with this money or how this reform was going to take place. Um, in fact, the announcement of the gift on Oprah um, came as news to the entire community in Newark. The parents of the children in the public schools had no idea any time before Oprah's national audience did <laughs> that there's, that a revolution was coming to their schools or to their children's lives. So um, this, I think, you know, the, the idea that... And I think that that you the the deliberate shutting out of the community was actually done with good intentions because the reformers believed that if you made this a more democratic process, it would be taken captive by unions and political bosses who for generations had determined what became of the Newark school budget and the Newark schools. I mean one reason well the reason that I named the book the prize is that the Newark School District was considered a prize by the political patronage kings, the politicians, the unions. Everybody wanted to control that prize because it's a billion dollars a year. It's the biggest public budget in Newark, and it's the biggest employer in the entire city with the exception of United Airlines. So if you have any ambition to have power in Newark, one thing that you tended to do was you wanted to control the Newark school budget, and that was not because you wanted to help children learn. It was because you wanted to enhance your own power. So there was this... There, there was this whole history of you know, real misuse and abuse of the public schools by the, the local powers that be. And the reformers felt, well, let's just keep it out of their hands. But in doing that, they kind of assumed that they spoke for everyone. And there was a vast there was just a vast groundswell in Newark among parents, among, you know, grassroots community leaders, among civic leaders, that the schools desperately needed to improve. And there was a consensus that something had to happen. And had that been tapped into, this never would have been such a top-down process. And I think there would have been not only more community buy-in, but a a different strategy that might have had a lot more impact than the one they took, the, the one they followed.
0: I don't want to give too much away because we want people to still read the book. It's called <laughs> The Prize, Who's in Charge of America's Schools? Uh, out in bookstores now. In um, New York Times bestseller as well. Congratulations, Dale. Thank you. Um, but give us a little, uh, some wet the appetite of the listener. How does Zuckerberg feel about all this? How does Mark Zuckerberg, who gave it an incredible amount of money in hopes that it would do good in Newark, uh Finding out that maybe not so much uh, good change happened.
1: well, he would he has not said anything publicly about being disappointed, but um it's clear that from the way he's, Handling his his subsequent philanthropy, that he's not pleased with the strategy that they used in Newark, um, and um, but what I, th- I think that he feels good about a couple of things that they did accomplish: sixty million dollars of the two hundred million he gave, a hundred million other donors matched it with another hundred million. Sixty million of that went to subsidize the expansion of charter schools, and within a couple of years they will have doubled the number of children in Newark charter schools. So that'll be forty percent of the school kids will be in charter schools. Another thing they did was uh, $50 million of Zuckerberg's money, so half of his money, went to getting a new teacher's contract, which does um, have much more accountability um, in it, for example, teachers no longer get a raise every year unless they're rated effective or highly effective on a four point scale that also includes partially effective and ineffective. It used to be that everybody, almost everybody got a raise regardless of their ratings. Um, and you know, while that doesn't sound to somebody in the private sector like a huge deal, it is a big change in Newark. Um, and um but but the interesting thing about it is that of the of the fifty million that Zuckerberg put up for that, um, thirty one million went to back pay um, for the teachers who'd been working for three years without a contract and that was just a quid pro quo. the union said if we don't get this, we don't come to the table. so more than half of the of the money that funded the teachers' contract was basically, you know, I mean it it, in Newark it's known as a payoff, um, just to get the union to the table. And the, the, you know, one of the main things he wanted was merit pay. He wanted to reward the best teachers in the hopes that they would stay in the profession and grow and develop and be rewarded. And only six million of it went to, um, merit pay. So the, you know, one fifth of the amount that went to the back pay went to merit pay. And, um, it, it really, I mean, the, I, the teachers who got the merit pay were happy to have it, but they didn't see it as a life-changing, transformational event in their lives.
0: Dale, uh, last question, and, and thanks again for being on the, on the EdCast today. W- was, this the, was this the story when you set, set out to write this book? You had probably an idea of what the story was and and how you were going to write it. And then in the process of writing it, what did you personally as the author sort of take away from it? And then was it the initial on the outset, the book you were planning to write, did it end up being the book that you wrote?
1: Um, I actually... Expected that a lot of really positive change was going to come from this. I guess I was a little naive, and I, you know, I would say Mark Zuckerberg was naive. Um, Not bad company to be with, right? Right. Although I think that he's doing a little better than I am. <laughs> but um, I, I think that I did expect that with a hundred million dollars and the backing of the Republican governor and the Democratic mayor, that that really significant things would happen in education, and that was the story I wanted to follow. And I did want very much to follow it from the top and from the ground level. So positioning myself in a number of schools to just watch the reforms come at kids and teachers, and also being in touch with the people at the top of the effort to see them come, you know, come up with their ideas and their motivations and their calculations, and just sort of try to keep going back and forth between the top and the bottom of this effort. So um, I, I thought that, you know, that that would be an interesting way to look at it, but I, I didn't realize that they i I didn't realize how little they knew about what they were co- what they were trying to accomplish because it's one thing to increase the number of charter schools, but that you know that kind of happens when you have philanthropy in any city you can increase charter schools. but what they said was that not only were they going to increase charter schools, but booker's terms book bu- Booker's words to to Zuckerberg were we're going to flip a whole city, so the idea was that we would improve the district schools dramatically, as well as the charter schools. And that was actually the thing they didn't know how to do, and the thing I was most interested in seeing happen. So the fact that those schools really haven't gotten better, um, and that they're in they're under a lot of stress, and um, there's a lot of upheaval because of the growth of charters and the exodus of kids and money to the charters. And that's something that nobody seems to have figured out how to do well. And yet, you do have a majority of kids still in traditional public schools contending with all of that.
0: Seems like people would think the recipe for ed reform would be hundreds of millions of dollars and, and cooperation from all levels of government and buy-in from the teachers. And in this case, it seems like that recipe didn't bake the cake that was needed.
1: No, and they didn't really have the buy-in of the teachers. They, they, um, they alienated the teachers. And I think they alienated all the forces on the ground because they basically said, we're going to fix this and we're going to save your children. And P.S., We're not going to ask you what you think of it.
0: Lessons learned, Dale. Thank you for putting this into a book and letting the world read it. It's much, much needed. The book is called The Prize, Who's in Charge of America's Schools? Dale Ruskoff, thank you very much for being at the Ed School today.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening.